Blog Talk Radio. And as always in the UAB UTEP rivalry, UAB gets the last <laughs> word. What's going on, y'all? Alex Nicholas coming at you with the ninth edition of the Conference USA Hoops Cast. I'm live in El Paso, Texas. Got my boy Dave West out there in Birmingham. I knew you would like that, Dave. I tried to mix it as much as I could with UTEP and UAB highlights, but it takes me back to <clears throat> the most famous, I guess you could say, segment of uh, the UTEP UAB rivalry was back in 2011, man. Man, it's the games have been amazing over the years. They've played a ton in the past, you know, ten to twelve years since they've uh, been Conference USA members. They used to play twice each season. Um, you know, back I think between like two thousand four and two thousand nine, it was twice each year, and, and the games were always epic. Uh, it's, it's it's an incredible series, and, and that that last bit you um, that last bit of audio that you you played was that three-pointer that we won by in uh, triple overtime, mm-hmm. double overtime, I don't even remember. I think it was triple overtime. Yeah, yeah uh, that it was, was triple talking, overtime. Uh, Cam, but that, the, 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 the person who hit that shot was Cameron Moore, who unfortunately passed away a couple months ago uh, when he was over in Macedonia and in in, you know, played European ball. But um, that, I mean, every, it's, it's, it just seems like every time, even recently we've had good games. I mean, last year wasn't that close, but the year before that, but when we were in El Paso, William Lee had a shot at the end uh, when when uh, Vince Hunter was there. You know, that was when he was dominating. Uh, William Lee had a shot at the end for a three to tie it. So it's always epic, man. And that's that's what it's all about, man. Two really proud programs. Definitely, definitely. So we got that on deck. Obviously, me and Dave are fired up. We've been exchanging a little friendly jazz wait. on Twitter. Uh, but we got wait, wait. <laughs> what, I got, what you say? No, 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 no. I gotta, I gotta bring something up before you get rambling about about everything else. I need you to take a second <laughs> and spend maybe thirty, thirty seconds, maybe an hour, and I want you to tell me, tell, no, tell the world who picked UTEP to beat Marshall last week. Just, just go ahead and tell them how smart I am and, and what I said. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I didn't see the money line to the other smart people that bet on UTEP, but yes, Dave West. You are the, the Nostradamus <laughs> that texted me on Saturday morning. I was in a drunken stupor, and I was like, this was crazy. Save that upset for next week. But, no, nah, the Miners showed up. Uh, I, 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 we're definitely going to get into that because, you know, we, we talked about we talked about both D'Antoni and, and, and Tim Floyd on the show. We've talked about their contrasting styles, and it's just interesting to see how Floyd was able to really coach circles around D'Antoni. So I'll give you props on that one. You know, you, you're keeping me positive during this uh, negative UTEP basketball season. So I definitely got to give you pops on that one. But So we're going to be talking about definitely going over last week what happened. But we got some news that we definitely want to get to uh, that we're going to go over. We're also going to have a guest, Joby Thomas, three-point shooting king from Charlotte. The old uh, – he used to be a three-point shooting king. Probably still is. Dave probably knows that for the Charlotte 49ers. He's their current radio color analyst. He's going to join us at 30 after 49er fans to break down what's going on in Charlotte and talk definitely. I got a question about John Davis coming up. So we got a loaded show. Let's jump right into it. Meat and potatoes kind of day with some news. And it all started 
some of the news that we're talking about started a couple of weeks before Thursday, but the big point of uh, emphasis or the big news around Conference USA was Thursday's wild game between Louisiana Tech and, and, uh, and UAB. And I did have a game here on my second TV. I was watching Western Kentucky and UTEP on the big screen. But it just – that game, we talked about it last week, Dave. It was going to be – a man's game, you know, grown man basketball. It turned into that as both teams empty the floor. Dave was there. Dave, the floor is yours. I mean, what do you make of what we saw? We know UAB and La Tech are kind of rivals in, in a sense in terms of, you know, the location and the fan bases. But that I did not expect that to boil over. What are your thoughts on that little situation last Thursday? First off, before I start rambling on about this, I don't I don't condone fighting in basketball games. I think it kind of ruins it, especially like that game did. <laughs> but I will say, yeah. it, to put a positive spin on it, it was for a fight. It was about as awesome and like non-detrimental as it could have been. You know, at the end result, it was it was actually pretty funny. It was hard for us at the media table courtside to not just laugh. Uh, I, I kind of saw it brewing early because we talked about it last week. These were these were interior players like uh, Omar Sherman and Eric McCree and Janiah White for La Tech and then Coakley, Haha and Mahinsey for UAB. I mean, these are big dudes, guys who are you know you know at the top of of the of the uh, the echelon as far as the interior players in the conference, and they were at it all night. I mean, both sides were getting you're getting there, getting their points. And they were jawing. They were jawing. It was mostly Coakley and Lee. I think Coakley and Lee had a uh, – and I didn't think about this before the game, but I think they were kind of pissed off and had a little chip on their shoulder about getting beat um, at La Tech last year. I mean, we were up by uh, nine points at halftime and ended up giving that game away. And McCree had like 33. It was unreal. Um, so I think they were a little pissed off. So that's kind of what started it. Ha, ha, um, excuse me, Coakley had an and one. And, you know, did the old, like, you know, kind of flex up, up to ha-ha, and they kind of chest up to each other. And, and Lee, man, man, Lee talks way more than people realize, man. Lee loves to get – and he doesn't do it, like, in the guy's faces, but he kind of makes gestures. I mean, he got thrown out of an FIU game a couple of years ago for making, like, a gun gesture. Like, a, like as he made his hand one, he kind of, like, popped the gun sign. I mean, the dude loves it when, he, when he's on, so – he got it started because he was right in front of McCree when he when he went up to Coakley and they started like dabbing up each other, and then it went from there. And this is where it went real wrong for La Tech real quickly. Uh, Boykins was way out on the key, like almost like you know, uh, you know, almost a half court. He sees uh, Hakeem Baxter like getting into the ha ha and Coakley love, and he sees him like walking up, and he comes in and kind of nudges him. And, like, I'm just thinking immediately when he does that, I'm like, oh, shit, this dude's from Philly. Like, you don't screw <laughs> with Hakeem with Baxter, dog. You just don't do yeah, it. You totally like, don't. I would I literally fight a tiger. Yeah. Or a dra- I would literally fight a dragon before I fight him. And, and Baxter just doesn't play games, man. He, like, he was like, all right, let's get each other's faces, but I'm going to throw a punch because I'm real. And and, and it, was, it was like an open-handed kind of slap punch. And – and then it was just kind of like patty cake from there. Everybody got off the bench and, and you know, kind of held each other. And nobody really, really wanted to hit each other. So it got blown out of proportion. I mean, it was on PTI on ESPN. It was on all sorts of things the next day. Because it was just funny at the end. At the end, it was just funny. I mean, there was no real, like, harm to either, any of the players other than losing a, a game for Jaboykins and Baxter. But, dude, being on court side, it was, it was really funny to watch. And um, in hindsight, you know, I doubt it'll ever happen again. Very rarely is even fights ever broke out in Bartow. I mean, I was sitting next to one of the writers, uh, UAB writers next to me, who's been covering them for 30 years, and he said he's never seen anything like it, having, having Tech have, have to finish with four players. So it was fun. It is what it is. But, man, it was, it was really an interesting experience to see courtside. Yeah, that that was interesting. And like, did did you feel going get kind of getting away from the fight though? Looking at that game, it really felt like UAB kind of put it together and was really kind of putting it on La Tech there. Kind of before that stretch happened, now La Tech, you know, they fought well, but the game was never really in question. 
do you felt like that was the game that Louisiana Tech, or excuse me, that UAB really needed? We talked about UAB, and they've been scrapping. They've been doing what they've been doing. But do you feel like that was kind of something that, that, that kind of sparked this team a little bit, particularly against who they were playing and what we know La Tech can bring? Yeah, uh, that's, that's one of the best games UAB's played all season. Very complete from start to finish. Uh, I'm not including the last six minutes. That was just a waste of, of time for everybody. Right. But oh, yeah. We were, we, we were get, yeah, we were getting our looks from the inside. We were very, very active from the outside. And um, it was it, 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 it looked fantastic. But give Loftec credit. We had about a 10-point lead when all that went down. And we were, give, we were keeping it at about a 10-point margin for most of the game. But Loftec, to me, proved that they are a top-four team in this conference. And, um, and, and I was hearing that from all over the media table. Like, everyone was saying, man, this is definitely the best team that we've seen in Bartow Arena that year, this year. And that includes Auburn having played there a couple months before. LaTeX's got some really, really good pieces, and 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 they're going to be there in March at the tournament. They're, they mean they they play well enough defensively that they they sold me. I mean, it, in my opinion, if that game would have gotten broken up, I bet you that's a five to seven point game at the end, and it's closely contested and some free throws for UAB maybe would have you know won it. Um, I think Lottex that good. So I was very impressed when I saw them, and I was impressed with UAB. I mean, we're trending in the right direction at the right time. And, and that was kind of my next question on Lottex. You know, they, they they lost obviously a tough game. You know, circumstances and, and pretty much like I said, kind of getting waxed in my opinion. Just kind of glancing over and seeing how UAB was physically dominating, kind of going back to their brand of basketball. But then they turned around and. and they just could not get over that hump against Middle Tennessee. I was watching that game, and it seemed like and, – and this has been every team Middle Tennessee has played, where they just have answers, and they just throw guys and, and, and things at you, back-to-back buckets on possessions, back-to-back stops, whether it's Giddy, whether it's Ja'Cory, whether it's Reggie Upshaw. And LaTeX really, really looked buried. From what you saw on Thursday and looking at what happened Saturday – you mentioned that Louisiana Tech is, is going to be, you know, a contender come Birmingham in March, but is there inexperience outside of guys like Eric McCree? Is that really going to kind of be their downfall to not kind of handle these type of games against these alpha dog type teams in these crazy environments? you think that's something that we really kind of, kind of look at for Louisiana Tech? Because personnel-wise, they're great. Length, they have it. Athleticism, they have it. Scores, they have it. Mentally, though, I think that could kind of be their demise come March in these type of matchups. Yeah, they they had some moments where Eric McCree uh, in our game where he just felt like he had to just shoot a three or just had to just do something. And, and, it, and that kind of happened. Early in the year. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, was no, weird, and I felt like Conkle was getting – yeah, he was getting kind of frustrated about it. But I don't want to talk about Tech too much because you brought something up that made me think about uh, Tech in middle game. I want to transition to middle because La Tech without Jacoby Boykins on Saturday on Saturday night, they kind of showed the keys to beat Middle Tennessee, in my opinion. They were winning at halftime, and they ended up losing by 10. But if you look at that stat line, it's, it's very revealing of the secret. I mean, it, it, there's, I mean, there's really no secret. It's, get, it's getting Upshaw, Williams, and Potts the hell off the court. Get them in foul trouble. Uh, Tech had uh, – they were 21 of 29 from the free throw line, and, and, and middle was only 7 of 12. That is a huge margin for a visiting team. And Reggie had four fouls. Ja'Cory had four fouls. Giddy had three fouls. They, were, they got physical. It was Omar Sherman. It was Eric McCree. It was Janiah White off the bench. And, and, and they, they just out-physical middle for most of the game, in my opinion. I mean, middle pulled away at the end. But that's, just, that's the key. That's why I think teams like UAB, I think teams like Old Dominion, now that they have Brandon Stiff back, I think those are the two teams, or, uh, including La Tech, if they ever meet again in the conference tournament. Those, these are the kind of teams that are going to beat a team like middle. You've got to be really physical with, with their interior of Upshaw and Ja'Cory because once you get those two off the court, I mean, there's just there's thin behind that, honestly. No doubt about it. And I was, like I said, just down the stretch, I, I didn't really watch the first half, and that's a good analyst that you're able to put. Like I said, the second half, I just felt like 
Middle Tennessee was those guys were on the floor. Those guys were on the floor. Like I mentioned, the last five to seven minutes, you would go down the floor and you'd have Ja'Cory drop a dagger. Then you'd have Giddy drop a dagger. Not necessarily three pointers, but you know what I'm talking about. Just those plays when you're trying when you're on the road, you're trying to fight back. You're down within four to five points, and all of a sudden somebody makes a play, and that's really what what I saw. And then and down the stretch against Middle Tennessee, and that's what makes them great. So definitely uh, interesting there. Those are, to me right now, you mentioned, and you kind of set it up perfectly. You look, Right now, I guess we can say it's pretty much through the halfway point now, and we can pretty much say that it is Middle Tennessee. Despite UAB's record, they're number two. Louisiana Tech is right behind them, and you've got to put Old Dominion in there. Do you kind of agree with that? And, and, and I think this weekend kind of was able to kind of finally, not set in stone yet, but it gives us a good, a, a good measurement of really – who the top four teams are going in to the, you know, basically the home stretch of the conference season. Yeah, it's, 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 it's middle UAB. And, and now in my opinion, it's old dominion law tech old dominion. When Brandon Smith was out the past three games, three or four games, I believe they, they've really uh, established their other pieces. We, we talked about it last week with um, uh, Zoran Talley that he's, you know, a shoe in for sixth man of the year. He's, He's coming off the bench like every other game. He's, sometimes he's starting, sometimes he isn't. But he's playing really consistent. And, what, what, and Brandon came back this past weekend, and I won't really talk about the North Texas game because they're, they're so trash, it's not worth talking about. But in their win over Rice, um, he, he, uh, Zorn was incredible. Like He had a fantastic game. He had 15 points. And then Brandon came off the bench, Brandon Stith, and had 18 points, and he was the Kim Palm MVP of the game. They're, they're, they're getting all their pieces together at the right time, and they're getting really good point guard play out of Ahmed Caver, the sophomore. And, and, that's, and that's what they were, were missing early on. They just weren't getting everybody playing well at the right time. But now that it's happening, I mean, Old Dominion arguably has the best links in interior, you know, of, of anybody in the conference, including UAB and middle. They've just got so many power forwards that are just rebounding monsters that are so stingy in the paint. And then they're starting to get some three-point shots to fall, too, from Caper. He hit four threes against North Texas. So uh, Old Dominion, in my opinion, is the trending team outside of those top two UAB Bills in the seat. Moving on to our next bit of news that I wanted to cover here. And this one, is to me, it's really unfortunate because this guy is one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, talking about North Texas, Jeremy Combs, who was shut down uh, by head coach Tony Benford due to what the Denton Record Chronicle was reporting was the lingering effects of a high ankle sprain that actually happened last February. And Jeremy Combs has been battling through that injury all summer, uh, didn't start the season. He's kind of missed some games, been here and there, wore protective boot, uh, you know, really didn't practice until their season opener back in November. And now it's shut down and, and North Texas is just, it, it's a dumpster fire over there. And I, if you've listened to our podcast, you know, my feelings on Tony Benford really well. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate in this situation for me is looking at Jeremy Combs. I mean, to me, the way that he came in as freshman year, I'm thinking this guy is an NBA prospect and really Probably one of the best recruits in that. I want, I want to say it was 2013-2014 recruiting class from any Conference USA team, and that included Vince Hunter on that as yeah. well. And, you know, so, so really, really a talented guy. My question is, though, are we seeing Jeremy Combs in a Power 5 uniform next year? Because I don't think there's no way in hell, especially if Tony Benford is out of a job, which I'm 100% by as y'all know, but is Jeremy Cole, is this the last that we see Jeremy Combs and we talk about him on a conference USA team? Yeah. He, yeah. He's gone. Yeah. You've seen Jeremy Combs. I mean, he's probably not even indented. I don't even know if he's enrolled in school right now. I'd be surprised if he is. Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, God, it's funny. You just said Benford. Yeah. Benford, he's out. I mean, he might as well just resign now. All he's doing at this point is just, denying the inevitable and um i talked to uh one of the north texas kind of super fans or whatever on dm today and and in their their athletic department he's kind of an inside guy their athletic department's already lining up guys for interviews once the season's over with but i would be shocked if jeremy Combs comes back next year because he, you know he really he, he he's a benford guy i mean benford's um, you know snapped him right out of um, i think it was dallas high which you could probably speak on better than i can but I mean, I've seen the movie Friday Night Lights. Dallas was always like it's, like, it's like that 
like super school. It, 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 so um, I mean, he was he was an incredible player there, and and he's he's been really good for North Texas for for years. And he's just he's got a knack for rebounds and a knack for scoring in the paint. He, you know, he's never even attempted a three, and he's only six seven. So he he's just a true kind of gritty interior player. And I could see him go to a power school. But I still think he's probably going to end up somewhere at the high mid-major level as a graduate transfer. But, again, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up at a, at a really kind of like a blue blood type um, big power program. Average 10.2 points and more than six and just about six and a half rebounds per game. And that's on a bad ankle. This guy's a walking double-double. Really, 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 really wish nothing but the best for him. Hope that he can land on, on, his, on, on his feet in a very, very well good situation that he can – possibly jump into so Jeremy Combs out and we feel he's definitely done a conference USA I think he's done too um, but looking at some more news across conference USA and this one was kind of interesting that came out last week uh, Marshall assistant Chris Duhon former Duke star if you grew up kind of in the same area that uh, or era that me and, and Dave grew up in you either hated Chris Duhon or you like Chris Duhon and I was on the side where I actually liked him uh, but this is a messy situation. Uh, you know, this is his second DUI. Uh, obviously, it came out a little bit late. You know, the arrest had happened before, and then, you know, it came out. Marshall took swift action. Now, uh, he resigned. I know he maybe wasn't a big part of what they do on the floor in terms of D'Antoni's system, but I got to believe that's going to kind of put some type of dent in, in the recruiting uh, now, Dave, I know you got some hot takes on Duhon. You actually got a chance to kind of interact with him last year at the Conference USA tournament. What are your thoughts on Duhon? And, you know, just kind of tell us how you're feeling about that. Yeah, so this is what I can tell you about Duhon, and, and not to contradict what you just said about him possibly not being kind of involved with plays or interaction or whatever with um, Tony. He's actually the total opposite. Uh, I worked the Conference USA tournament in Birmingham last year as a media member for the blog. And I was able to go to the close, well, cl- open to the media, but close the public practices. And I was at Marshall's 30-minute practice. And it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had as, as someone who was newly getting into kind of sports media. Um, because I got to sit there on press row and watch them practice. And Dan Tony never really set, set foot on the court. He sat down on press row, kind of leaned up, and just told stories the whole time to everyone sitting there. And he's hilarious guy. He's very, very uh, – he's funny. He's got great stories. He's been to the NBA. He knows everybody. But the man who ran the practice was Duhon. Duhon from whistle to whistle, from start to finish, he did everything. And, and D'Antoni told us that. He said it's just a matter of time before he becomes the head coach. He felt like that was his next destination. And, and that's what makes me sad, though, that what happened happened. If, if I'm not mistaken, he, he technically didn't get a DUI when he got stopped. He got stopped for something else, and he had a suspended license because of We're the 2015 yeah, DUI. Yeah, yeah. So that that's and I, and I think they kind of decided up more, more than likely what happened. And I'm not I don't want to make assumptions. He probably was possibly intoxicated, and they let him off with just driving with a suspended license. And the athletic department said, "Listen, this is going to get out one way or the other. Let's just go ahead and part ways." So I really hope the best for them because. Um, you know, like you were saying earlier, he, uh, he he's a big part of that team, and he he's he's not necessarily uh, D'Antoni's right hand man, but he's right there. He's he's a, he's a voice in practice, and it just it just kind of brings instability to the program. When when Marshall after Utah you know kicked their butt, they really need some stability. So yeah, and according to the Charleston uh, Gazette Mail. Uh, he was arrested uh, early Saturday, which I'm going to guess is two Saturdays uh, from now, or from this, this past Saturday, or Saturday from last Saturday, driving with a revoked uh, revoke license. And, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, we're obviously assuming, we don't know the facts, but, you know, thinking about how college towns are run, especially one like Huntington, uh, you know, that's probably the case where, you know, they may have gotten him off of something, probably would have been, uh, you know, even more serious of a charge. But did you see him landing on his feet pretty easily? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you're going to have to do due, every call is going to have to do due, due diligence on him to see if he's quote-unquote recovered, however you want to call it. You know, I'm not sure he's, you know, obviously not a full-blown alcoholic. He's doing his thing, you know, with Marshall. But do you think that's going to be harder for him? Is he going to have to kind of reset where he was at? Because he seemed pretty established where he was at at Marshall in terms of, you know, being able to leapfrog to another job. 
If I had to guess, I'm going to think he, since he res- resigned or whatever, I think he's going to come back to Marshall and may even be as early as like later in the season or over the summer. I think, I think that's where he's going to come back to because that's where, I mean, he, he's got a close relationship with D'Antoni because um, he, he, uh, Duhon had worked his way in, in, in through one of, I think it was at the Knicks. That he that he ran yeah it was at the Knicks is where he ran into uh, Dan D'Antoni who was the assistant for his brother Mike uh, so I think that ultimately that's probably where he'll land but you you never know he might work his way back into that that Duke brotherhood but Coach K's pretty closed um, you know close to the chest on his assistant so I'd be kind of surprised if he came in you know this late in his career granted he's you know in his thirties late thirties but. I'd be surprised um, if he went. He ended up somewhere like Duke. So I would say more than likely he's going to get back in the mix at Marshall after they work all this, um, you know, legal stuff out. We got about five minutes before we welcome Joby Thomas to talk a little Charlotte basketball. So just kind of going over what we saw last week. Personally, I don't feel there was anything eye popping other than Saturday. You know, with UTEP beating Marshall, that was maybe the one that stuck out, stood out the most. Is there anything else that kind of caught your eye this weekend? Because it seemed like it, everything kind of went sort of, the, sort of the plan, I guess you can say, compared to where we were looking at a couple uh, weeks ago on, on some of these teams. Yeah, I think we need to talk about Rice. Um, I mean, how do we feel about Rice? You and I have been, <laughs> been Rice you know, supporters and beating that drum for three months now. Uh, are, they're they're kind of reeling. Uh, I was looking at some stats earlier of who's leading in points per game in Conference USA, and I noticed something that kind of caught my eye. Uh, I think at one point Igor Kulichov was almost like ten to twelve three pointers ahead of Marcus Evans about a week or two ago, or maybe a little longer than that. And and it's kind of evened out now. They're both at fifty three, which is a bunch for two guys. But it, something's going on there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, it's Maybe it's what we've talked about in the past with their lack of interior play, but, I mean, what is your opinion on, on, on Rice currently? I think I'm going to go back to, and I'm not sure which game I said this. I don't know if it was Louisiana Tech or Southern Miss, but one of those games in the first half, maybe even been North Texas, might have to go back a little further, but there was a half where basically Igor and Marcus were shut down. And I think I think somebody let a blue a blue print, obviously, you know, you're halfway through the conference season, it's going to happen, to being able to slow them down, and and when when we've talked about their lack of, of not only presence in the post, but production, that's something that could be easily done in terms of, of taking them out of, of, of their comfortability, you know, relying on, on Evans and relying on Igor for those buckets, for those offense, for those momentum buckets, which I think are huge for a team like Rice. And I think now that you're seeing teams being able to take, take away either or, maybe not necessarily for a whole game, but to be able to take both of them or one of them away for a stretch, I think has kind of been something that teams have been able to figure out. And, and, and Mike Rhodes is a young coach and he's got a lot of talent, but I just don't feel that he's been able to kind of you know, play left-handed in a sense, to be able to kind of overcome that. When somebody's able to shut down your two studs, well, you know, what are you going to do? I remember a couple of weeks ago you mentioned Andrew Jones isn't going to tear down the house, or you're not going to see Andrew Jones going off, you know, for 10 and 20 or 10 and 10, kind of what they need. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing, a small blueprint of being able to kind of take those two guys out defensively and say, hey, your hand's, your hand's tied behind your back, your right hand. Now you're going to have to play with your left hand. And I think that's something that you see – in college basketball around this time, especially during conference play. And, you know, I, I just felt, and this is maybe this is not a knock, maybe Rice did kind of rely on on the Evan uh, Kulichev, you know, duo in terms of them, you know, being their main guys, their main ball handlers. And maybe teams have figured that out. I, I don't know if I'm coming in the left field on that one. But, you know, just looking at, at a couple of weeks ago where their struggles was, and I thought that's kind of where it started, you know, for Rice. But they still have that firepower that, you know, you get into kind of that desperation mode in March and you get guys that get hot like Igor, like Marcus Evans. They are dangerous, but right now I think teams have kind of figured out how to kind of just slow those teams down. Like, so not maybe necessarily for a whole 40 minutes, but to get them in certain stretches where you can climb back in the game and make it close and not allow Rice to kind of snowball you with that ability from those two guys. I'll be brief real quick because since we're about to have Joe be on, uh, the good thing about Rice and what's happening right now, if you could say it's a good thing, is the good thing is they're not, they're not going to lose Mark Rose this year. 
after what they've started with in conference play. He, it, uh, it's just it, it's bad enough start that at least they'll keep their coach and they'll have their nucleus of their young players because they are in fact very young. Um, uh, Marcus Evans and, uh, is, is still a sophomore. Marquez Letrellis is still coming along. He's a sophomore. And you got Aiko Adams and Chad Watt. You got a lot of really good pieces for them. You know, I know we, we and we keep saying this. Those are all basically guards and small forwards. So they they just got to find that interior piece in this next class, or they maybe get a transfer. I don't know what it is. But going forward, I mean, they're in great shape. They're going to continue to trend forward into next season, and that's a great thing for Rice basketball to have two, you know, two, you know, for the most part, good seasons in a row. No doubt about it. So let's talk about the team that handled right or that was handled by Rice on Saturday, the Charlotte 49ers, and we're going to bring in their color analysts and their old three-point specialists to the beginning of the 2000s uh, era at Charlotte, and that is Joby Thomas on the line with us. Joby, what's going on, man? Can you hear us? Yeah, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Go ahead, Dave. Joby, it's good to have you on, man. I've been looking forward to this interview. Um, uh, we'll, We'll have some good lines of questions here for you, and and um, I, I had the chance to actually listen to you some today on your on on, on the through Twitter uh, the uh, the, comp, the the team's uh, basketball uh, page had posted the video of you guys interviewing coach one of the assistants and um, so I kind of got a feel okay. of the flow a little bit so, so hopefully we can have a good interview here <laughs> but um, I know you've been with Charlotte IMG for a couple of years now and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but. You were there for the transition out of Alan Major to Mark Price. What has that been for you as, as coming on and, and doing radio for the first time? And how's it been for the alumni and fans and the program as a whole, that transition to Mark Price from Alan Major? Yeah, you know, uh, for me personally, it's been a, a great transition um, from playing professionally uh, to uh, the other side, coming over to, to the media side and, and getting to uh, not have to worry about the wins and losses, but enjoy the game and, and go home afterwards. But, uh, no, it's, it's been a, a joy for me to be back uh, a part of Niner Nation and uh, just to, to interact with the fans and, and the team, the coaching staff. Uh, you know, I know it's it was a tough transition. Coach Major came in, did some really good things. Uh, uh, they had high hopes for him early on, um, but unfortunately, you know, things uh, ended, and uh, I think we were able to, to make a great hire with Mark Price. Uh, obviously, his uh, playing career uh, speaks for itself, uh, but is just a great person, I think, um, as has shown even through some adversity early on uh, that, you know, there's a lot of potential uh, for him in Charlotte. Looking at one of the current stars uh, for the 49ers is John Davis, and this is a guy that, um, you know, I followed his recruitment well. I covered UTEP, and, and UTEP was, was seemed like they were kind of right there in, in the recruitment, kind of going down to the end. And how have you seen him kind of transition his game last year, being around a plethora of guards, and now this year where it's kind of on his shoulders in a sense, and he's been able to really, really deliver in terms of making those plays. Just talk about kind of, you know, the transformation that he's had into now probably one of considered one of the elite point guards in Conference USA. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the improvement in John's game from, from even a year ago is, is amazing. Uh, you know, he, he always showed the – quickness and the ability to get to the basket uh you know he coming out of high school was no more as a combo guard and so he's still learning how to be a point guard uh how to, to get other teammates involved and, and and distribute the basketball uh but his his shooting ability i mean last year uh you know just you could tell it wasn't as confident shooting the ball this year you know shooting well over 40 percent from behind the arc and uh, just uh, carrying the team uh, individually. So I think uh, he grew, uh, his confidence obviously grew uh, through the opportunities he had last year to play heavy minutes. Uh, and he's just, you know, carried that over and, and I think done more than anyone expected. Joby, I know you're a Charlotte man you know, at, at heart. and You were born there. You, you played there. Even though you spent, you know, you're kind of a, a renaissance man uh, of late uh, in the past you know, 15 years. He spent a lot of time in Europe. 
But um, now that you're doing radio and you're, and you're dabbling in this, which is something that you may or may not have known that you'd get into, tell me what it's been like for you the past uh, two or three years getting in radio, and do you think this is possibly uh, something that could lead you into coaching, or do you think that radio is your niche? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, honestly, I was a communications major in college, and, uh, you know, growing up I always, uh, you know, thought about if I wasn't able to play, I would love to naturally be around the game and, and uh, enjoy, uh, you know, watching television broadcasts and, and, and radio. And so to have an opportunity uh, to, to go back to my alma mater and do radio has, has been a joy. I mean, I love it, honestly. I don't know, uh, you know, where it'll lead. Um you know, I, I would love to get into TV, uh, doing some, you know, color commentary uh, for television games. Uh, had a couple opportunities at ESPN3. Uh, I'm going to get a couple more opportunities this upcoming week and so forth. So I'm really just uh, thankful for the opportunities I'm given, and I'll just kind of wait and see where things go. I always thought when I was done playing that I would coach. I really intended to coach, uh, but uh, really it became a family decision. I have three kids uh and my wife and I she was with me they were with me two of my my uh children were born in Italy uh during my playing days there and we decided wow. after our travels that we wanted to come back to Charlotte and and kind of make this home and and not travel and, and as you guys well know one of the the tough things about college coaching is you have to be willing to, to kind of up and go anywhere at any point in time. You don't know how long you'll be at a certain place or what opportunities will be there for you. And so uh, more than the coaching itself, uh, it was just more of a lifestyle decision that we made as a family. You know, and you kind of hit, you hit close to home for me there, Joby. Uh, literally, as we're talking right now, my six-year-old daughter is just collecting Legos on top of my laptop. So, so I, I, can't, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, your first year on radio, you did the road games too, correct? Yeah, and I actually still am. Uh, so I just got back from, from Texas with the team. Uh, you know, so I actually uh, have about a year ago when I got my real estate license and actually been working residential real estate in the Charlotte market and selling houses. And uh, so something else I never <laughs> – I never envisioned I would be doing if you'd asked me even, you know, even 12, 14 months ago, uh, much less a few years ago. Um, but I am able with my job now to, you know, to have the flexibility to travel. There are a couple games uh, that I, you know, wasn't able to make. And uh, my plans are to be down there uh, to see you guys next week when we come down to play UAB uh, and uh, for that road trip as well. So, uh, yeah, I have been around the team and, and been really fortunate to, to be able to see them play an awful lot over the last two years. And I'm I'm really looking forward to, to you, you you guys and Old Dominion both coming in town uh, uh, next week. Uh, I'll make sure I introduce myself to you because I'll be down there as well. But Sounds there's great. Something that, yeah, some things that I've been wanting to ask you all day. You, in my opinion, played in the golden era of Conference USA in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, a lot of our listeners probably don't realize because a lot of them are, you know, quite closer to Alex and I's age of you know, around 30 or so. Uh, you you lead Conference USA where you are the the top of uh, three point shots made, uh, it, 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 that's, and that's a that's a really good list. I've I've been through that list a couple times since I talked to you this weekend. There's some names on there that you're in front of that it's it's, it's extremely impressive. But I want to know, I, I and I've kind of led you into into this with this tweet earlier today. You played against guys like Kenyon Martin, Dwayne Wade. Tell me, just just tell us anything that you could, some nuggets, some stuff that maybe you've never had a chance to share. What was it like playing in Conference USA during that era? I'll tell you what, uh, you know, Conference USA uh, of the good old days, (laughs) as you referred earlier, uh, was a big reason that I ended up staying home and going to to Charlotte. Uh, I was – uh, recruited by other schools that actually came down to LSU or Charlotte. I never envisioned that I would uh, that I would stay home. I honestly never wanted to. I grew up in ACC country and, and wanted to play uh, for an ACC school. And uh, I wasn't. I visited NC State. I visited Clemson. Wake Forest came in on me a little late, but I wasn't one of their top guys, you know. And uh, I didn't have that opportunity. But the thing that really sold me on Charlotte was, uh, apart from being a hometown kid and having an opportunity to 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 really uh, build something, 
in my own backyard was Conference USA. We had Cincinnati, you know, Louisville, Marquette, uh, you know, Memphis, all these teams. And, you know, I think one of the things I refer to people or I remind them of when I talk about Conference USA of old, if you look at just the coaches, you had Bob Huggins mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. Yeah. You, you had uh, Tom Crean at Marquette. You had John Calipari, <laughs> if you ever heard of him, at Memphis. Oh, by the way, you had Rick Pitino at Louisville. I mean, you know, these are legendary coaches all in the same conference. Uh, I mean, just to name a few. So it was it was a great experience. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, things have changed in Conference USA. And, you know, a lot of that's out of um, the university's control. Um, but uh, great memories of playing guys like Dwayne Wade, Kenyon Martin. Uh, and I knew night in and night out. Uh, that we were going to play some of the best teams in the country. And so just to be able to compete against those guys and to see them go on, have, go on and have the success they had uh, is just, you know, uh, a memory and memories that I'll have for the rest of my life. Great insight for a former Charlotte guard. Joby Thomas is a first-team All-Conference USA selection in 2002, had a a overseas career that spanned over a decade and Jovi is just an honor to have you here on our podcast thank you for joining us man appreciate it and have a great night man thanks guys appreciate it thanks Jovi and there you go we try to bring you the faces and and, uh, faces and voices at Conference USA and that one is that's a hidden gem I gotta give you mad props for that one when you first told me him I was like who? And when I looked him up, I was like, oh, shit, that's, that's a solid get. Great insight, especially mentioning those coaches back in those days. I mean, that's ridiculous, bro. Every night lining up against a guy like Dwayne Wade, Quinn Richardson, uh, you know, Coach Cal, and all the coaches that he named, that, that was a really good great. That's a really good get for the podcast, man. Of course it was. I mean, that's why they paid me the big bucks to bring the big the big acts, <laughs> the, big, the big voices. But, no, um, oh. I, was just, I just got to thinking, and I, and I want to, you know, involve many of our fan bases of our great conference that I can. And I just got to thinking, I was like, you know what, Charlotte's kind of on a roll right now. I was like, who, who can we bring on that's it's a good voice and, and it's, it's been there in the beginning and you know, years ago and it's still there now. And, and I remember Joby uh, just going through stats and things like that. I'd come across his name. But go look at his YouTube videos of some of his games in Europe when he was playing, I believe it was Portugal he was playing, um, his three-point shot is one of the purest that I've ever seen. It's incredible. His release is just like, boom. It, it, it reminds me, it's almost like Ray Allen-esque. But that's, that's something that, that I'm really enjoying with, that we've developed through the podcast. We've gotten very lucky with all of our guests. They've all just been top-notch with, with Aldo Amato, uh, Jeremy St. Louis from uh, BN Sports, and then Mark Adams of um, ASN and ESPN, and now now Joby. I mean, we're going to do this every week because these guys want to talk about their teams, their schools, and their love for the game, and so do we. So it was, it was, a, it was a great segment, and I'm really happy to have them on. Dave the Booker West, that's what we'll call you here on the CEO of Davis <laughs> cast. So moving along to this week, and, and before we get into everyone else, you know what we're going to talk about right now. UAB UTEP Thursday night. It's, it's it's honestly it's a special night for UTEP. You know we're honoring Jeep Jackson. Jeep Jackson. If you guys don't know, a little history lesson. Jeep Jackson was wide grin guard, kind of replaced. Uh, you know UTEP had this thing in the 80s or the 90s where we had one point guard coming after another, and, and Jeep was one of those guys. And Jeep is a guy that you can talk to anybody, a casual UTEP fan, a casual whatever, and they will tell you a story about Deep Jackson. I mean, this guy was really true UTEP fans. I mean, UTEP fans everywhere and people that know UTEP, they're going to obviously look at Tim Hardaway and Antonio Davis and and all those guys that that deserve it, the great sponsors, but your true UTEP fans know how special Deep Jackson really, really was to this team, Uh, you know, back in those 90s and those days when UTEP was going to, uh, you know, Sweet 16, he was on that team back in 92, so that's that's really, really a special, special night where they're going to honor Deep Jackson, it's going to be his anniversary um, this year, Paul Thomas has, has kind of been dedicated his number. Nobody's worn Deep Jackson since he never. Nobody's worn number twenty-two since he died. Uh, and now, you know, he's, that's going to be a really big deal for UTEP. It's going to be definitely an emotionally charged game. 
and coming in with uh, against you know one of the better teams in Conference USA in what UTEP struggles with. And going back to last week, it was interesting what Mike D'Antoni and what those guys, those Marshall guys, were saying about UTEP's two bigs, uh, Kelvin Jones and Matt Wilms, that were just physically imposing. I haven't heard that from a UTEP team in a couple of years. So that was very reassuring. You have this emotional type of game, this emotional event, UAB coming in. UTEP fans know this kind of uh, quote-unquote rivalry that's been of UAB. It's going to be a pretty special atmosphere. An 8 o'clock start. Ah, Dave, you got to stay up late. Uh, but that, that <laughs> is really what I think it is. <laughs> that's going to add to the emotion of this game. And I honestly think – that's a tough deal for, for UAB to come in now. Not saying that, that you know, UAB or that UTEP is on this hot streak or whatever, but those are kind of elements that are going to play into this game. Hopefully there's seven to 8,000 in there, which I'm thinking there could be because of this event. But, wow. you know, just give me some of your early thoughts on this game because for UTEP fans, you know, this is a, a kind of a down year for us. But I think this is personally, to me, being a, a, a you know, a UTEP fan, this should be a special event that people – should show up. Now, I don't, like I said, I, don't, I doubt we're going to hit 10,000, but there's going to be a crowd there. There's going to be a crowd. It's going to be emotional. You know, just kind of what's your thoughts on, on this game? Because to me, this isn't just a regular season Conference USA matchup between UTEP and UAB just because of what else is going on. Right, so we're honoring a, a legend here in El Paso. You know, Alex, I didn't even think about that, man. Uh, and I saw what happened, what you guys, uh, you know, the, the the fan support that came out last year for the, the anniversary of the championship team. I mean, in your opinion, are we talking about like, like, like a turnout, like even like, like that? Cause that was incredible against that game against Western. Are we, are, are you nah. thinking it's going to be that big? Of... I mean, no, I so not say, that I much. Mean, like, okay. Yeah. I mean, they're giving out t-shirts, so that's good for 8,000 people. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, people love free stuff. But as far as like the matchup goes, so let's let's assume we're gonna get UTEP possibly their their best game of the uh, of of the year because they're coming off the Marshall win, they're gonna have the Jim Jackson uh, tribute. Yeah, for sure, sure, and, and and also UAB probably, in my opinion, played their best game of the year. This is a CBS game, um, CBS Sports Network. I mean, this is I mean we're talking about something prime time here. We're gonna see uh, two teams that are. That are you know I mean these are they've got great players on the team Dominic Artis, Omega Harris, Matt Wilms, Jake Flagger, uh, Paul Thomas. I mean and you, and you got a host of guys in UAB. Uh, these two teams are much better than their records show. Granted, UAB's records obviously a little bit better, but th- they're going to bring their A game, and this is going to be like a, a a big time event on CBS Network. I, I would I would not miss watching this game. I don't know what to think because I think everyone's going to play over their heads, in my opinion. I think, I think you're going to have big performances from, from everybody on both sides of the, uh, of, of the ball. I mean, I mean both, both benches or both teams or whatever. So, I'm psyched, man. I, I, I didn't put two and two together about the, about the, about the, the Jeep tribute. Uh, <laughs> why, why do you have to do that crap when we come to town? That's not fair. Hey, I mean, it sets up perfectly here. Yeah, I mean, it could have been on Saturday, but, you know, obviously they're using the, the TV exposure because, I mean, the Jeep is a great guy. Now, if, if you Google it, it's, I'm not going to talk about what kind of led to his death. Obviously, people have demons. People do what they do. But, you know, it wasn't kind of sure. – it wasn't a prep death. It wasn't something that should be, you know, that, 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 that's kind of, you know, revealed here in El Paso. But it's, it's, it's a sad story. And this guy, like I said, he was just loved. I mean, he was just loved. This guy was really, really just loved around El Paso. And that's, I just think that it's going to add some type of emotion. It's going to add an environment that UTEP hasn't played in an environment this year. I mean, our crowds have been weak. You know, I think the only environment game that a home conference USA team has had is going back to when you guys played Auburn. And, you know, now the teams yeah. are going to turn a little bit. And there's going to be events. There's going to be stuff like that. So it's definitely going to be interesting. And, and you know what, I, like I said, I, I don't you, – you said it. I didn't say it. You just don't know what UTEP team is really going to show up, what game they're going to bring. And I think that's going to play a big-time, you know, factor, you know, after that. So definitely looking forward to that one. That's kind of, uh, you know, kind of the, mar- the marquee matchup, I guess you can say, of the weekend. You know, looking ahead – to Thursday, there's not really much that stands out. You know, I think everybody should be able to take care of business. It'll be interesting to see Middle Tennessee kind of on the road now they're receiving votes. But 
Saturday, Marshall, Louisiana Tech is probably the best game on the docket. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Marshall needs a win. They need a sweep this weekend coming off of a loss against Utah. It's tough going into the South. But other than Marshall, Louisiana Tech, or even touch on Louisiana Tech, anything else kind of stands up out to you? Is this kind of seems, I don't want to say a boring weekend because when, when I say boring, something crazy is going to happen. But it seems like the teams that are favored are going to be favored should handle business this weekend. Yeah, um, you, you said it was – gosh, I, my computer just, like, almost crashed for a second. Um, <laughs> let me get to that Saturday slate real quick. Uh, you said it was uh, – I'm usually prepared on this. You said it was Law Tech. Uh, Marshall's at Law Tech, correct, on Saturday? Yeah, to me, that's that's probably the best game of the day that's going to probably yeah. draw most attention. Yeah, I, I agree. And those are two teams, I mean, you know, not including what they'll do Thursday, but those two teams that are, are just going to be hungry for a win to get momentum back in the right direction – and a very contrasting styles. I mean, uh, Marshall's one of the best offensive teams in the conference when they're on their on their game, and La Tech's one of the best defensive teams. And they're you know trying to develop you know that get back to that winning streak that they have at the Tack and Ruston. You know when they reeled off fifty something games without losing uh, for a couple of years straight. So that that's going to be a really really interesting uh, contra- contrasting styles. But um, I'll tell you a game that I'm that I'm looking forward to is uh, UAB and UTSA. No matter what happens with UAB and UCEP on Thursday, I think UAB is going to have a tough time with, um, with, with the Roadrunners in, uh, in San Antonio because just, just because of the way they play. I think what UTSA is going to do is they're really, really, really going to, like, just clamp down on UAB in the interior, you know, whether it's fouling guys like crazy or just, you know, just, just you know, clouding, clouding up the paint or, or clogging up the paint. I think they're going to make us beat them uh, from behind the arc. And that's something that we don't really do very well on the road. So that is not a gimme game. That's not a game UAB, in my opinion, is going to win by 20. I think uh, Steve Henson is going to make us grind that thing out. So, But, yeah, it's, um, I think the, still for the, the Thursday-Saturday slate, uh, the marquee game, the big TV game, the CBS Network game, No doubt about it. Other other games on TV, not very, very any year, no matter what expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a game you can't miss, no matter what our records are. You're going to see these two teams play at a level they probably haven't played at all year. I hope so. I hope UTEP wins too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hell no, dog. <laughs> yeah. Other viewing options for the weekend, it's very, very light. On BN, you can catch West Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. Shout out to Jeremy. What's good? Uh, obviously, you, you Jeremy said the week. on CBS Sports Network. <laughs> Saturday, Fox College Sports is where you can find Western Kentucky at Southern Miss and then UTEP in Middle Tennessee. Oh, UTEP getting two-time the TV coverage on American Sports Network on that one. That's a 7 o'clock uh, Central time starter. So, Week nine of the conference, or episode nine, I think it is week nine. We've done it consecutively of the CUSA Hoopcast <laughs> is in the books. Appreciate Joe B. Thomas for coming on. As always, appreciate my man Dave West. Appreciate everybody listening. Catch us on Twitter. Catch us on the website, dailydragon.com and minorrush.com. Pretty sure we're going to exchange a Q&A. Both have our game previews up, but we're going to homer and pick each of our teams. I'm picking UTEP. I'm going to come out straight. UTEP's winning this game, bro. UTEP is winning this game. Hashtag in memory UTEP of the sucks. Ah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Appreciate you, Dave. Appreciate everybody listening. We're going to holler at y'all next week, man. Yeah. Later. Peace.